get rich, I'm gonna get a gate mantle. That's what I do like six times a day. Get out, open, get out, close. <laughs> Welcome to Goa. This is a podcast about the people, places, and everyday stories of India's smallest state. As creators of Goa.me, Goa's largest online community, we set out to bring you interviews and candid conversations with interesting and inspiring individuals. So come along and get to know Goa beyond the holiday. In today's episode, we'd like to take you on a ride through the villages of Salset and introduce you to the many soundscapes of Goa as we jump in the car to capture a day in the life of one of Goa's most respected waste management specialists, the founder of V Recycling, and our good friend, Clinton Vaz. So pretty much every day I make a schedule of what I'm going to do, and then the day starts and my schedule goes completely haywire because of the unplanned things that happen. Pretty much sums my day every day. So a good day is when I actually do 80% of what is on my list for the day. Right. Bad day is like when nothing happens. So today the plan is to go and deliver two composters to two homes, one in Kolva and one in uh, Nube. Yeah. So the guy in Nube said come anywhere between 9 and 9.30. So we are on track for that. Yeah, the Kolba home wants us to come around 11. In between, I'll take you to the warehouse and show you the warehouse. And then we'll also check in with Albati how the driver's doing on our way back. Okay, uh, and the driver's the one that goes around and picks up your existing yeah, clients? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So we have different kinds of clients. We have three types of clients. One are the individuals, and then we go and pick up waste from their homes. So they typically just have a composter and a recycling bin. And then the driver would just empty the recycling bin and take it on. And the composter, he just helped them turn it over or empty the composter whenever required. So that's okay. like maybe twice or thrice a year. Then we have the communities, which are the bigger projects where we have like 50 homes, 100 homes all living together. And so to manage their waste, we've like installed large-scale composters and also we have multiple bins. So then we have a staff going there on a daily basis or an alternate day basis. He goes there and he picks up the waste from every home, takes it to the treatment point and does the sorting. We have like eight categories of dry waste, recyclables. And then the third big group of customers is village panchayats where we take an entire village. And so we're contracted by the head of the village, the panchayat, to handle all the waste that gets generated in the village. We don't pick up food waste there, fortunately, because that would have been a completely much more expensive uh, solution. We only pick up the recyclables and non-recyclable waste, okay. no organics. In Goa, what happens is most people have access to animals or gardens, so they will either informally compost or give their food waste to animals as food. Right, yeah. So there's not so, so much of a food waste problem in villages. The pigs will take it or the dogs or the cows yeah. or whatever. But so they have a problem with their plastics and they didn't know what to do with it so they end up just burning it or dumping it somewhere. Mm -hmm. So this program really helps them out because then they have at least an outlet for their waste and it's a yeah. doorstep or a nearest road collection. Most of the villages uh, have roads, but some places don't. So what we do is we say, say if you don't have uh, access to the road, bring your trash to the nearest road. Yeah. Because we're doing it in vans. The guys go with blow whistles around, and then the van will keep blowing its horn. And then you use these kind of mini vans that are pretty common in Goa. Hmm. 
So we'll hire a local driver from the village. Okay, so, so is, he knows those He knows the well, routes, yeah. he knows the people, and we get into less conflict because conflicts do happen in the sense that we have told them that we're only picking up recyclables and once in a while someone's going to mix their waste up. So if it's a one-off or a second time it's happened, we'll tolerate it and we'll, we'll sort it out for them in front of them. Yeah. But if it keeps happening, then we leave it behind. And then very often the complaint will go out that we didn't even come and pick it up. So then uh, in some cases they will actually come up and start to threaten our staff saying if you don't take it we'll do this or we'll do that or things like that. And then that's when the driver comes in and says, you know what, come on, you're my neighbour, you know the rules yeah. and calm things down that way. Okay. We'll often get thanked by the villagers for the service we're doing. We're actually we're getting paid by the village panchayat so they don't even pay for it. It's a free service to the residents. Oh, awesome. So it's a win-win for everybody. We get a lot of trash that keeps our company busy. Yeah. We are diverting about 60 to 80% of that trash to recycling. And then the 18% gets sent to co-processing, which is a nice word for incineration. And then we end up with 1% to 2% of waste, which is what we consider problem waste. We don't know what to do with it. So we have three things predominantly in that 1-2%. to One is your ceramic waste, broken cups and saucers and old toilet bowls and wash basins. Now there's nothing you can do with ceramic except you could crush it and use it as a cement aggregate. So we do that. Then we also have the issue of tube lights. Now fortunately for us that's solving itself because it's kind of getting obsolete with LED lights. Right. But still, you know, the government's promising that maybe in a couple of years they'll find a solution, so until then we'll stockpile it. A huge problem we have is sanitary waste. The sanitary pads is, a, is not as bad as the diapers. Because if a home has a kid in the house, a two or a one-year-old kid, they're on average producing four diapers from that one home. And if you go to a building of like 50 people, you're easily getting, say, a couple of cement bags worth of diapers every day. Yeah, and so then, how, what, what is the best way to dispose of those? There's no there way, best no. way. Yeah, the only way is that it goes through some kind of medical waste disposal facility. And the shocking thing is that Goa doesn't have one. So you can imagine where all the hospital uh, waste goes. It just yeah. goes out into the open. So the best thing we can do is stockpile it. And so we have three warehouses in Goa where we only store diapers. So wow. we actually take the diapers, we put it into a bag, then we double bag that, and then we tie it up, and then we put it into storage. And we're storing it because that's what the government told us to do. We still talk to people about using cloth diapers, but it's easier said than done. I mean, we have to change our lifestyle from that single-use to reuse, you know, that single-use solution of quick, convenient, over waste-reducing is, is the problem. Everybody wants to do everything quickly, now we have this new service in India or in Goa uh, where you get your food delivered to your home. It's not so much about the packaging that Swiggy is creating or anything, but it's just that when, you, when you're ordering food at home, it has to be packaged in single-use packaging. And that increases the load of packaging waste mm. in our garbage. Yeah. So the average Indian generates 200 grams of waste per person per day. The average American or European generates between three to five kilograms of waste per person per day. So that's a huge difference yeah. between how much Indians and Westerners generate. 
But when I'm saying average Indian, I'm not talking about you or me because we're not average Indians. Average Indian sits in a village in a small mud hut and he doesn't really have so much access to plastic. The urban Indian who we are is producing more like 800 grams to a kilogram of waste per person per day. Still, we're, we're much lesser than the West. But, but there's the, more people here, so... <laughs> there's more people and we're aping the West. Five years ago, or no, not even five, maybe ten years ago, if you took a train ride in India and you ordered a cup of tea, they'd pour out the cup of tea in, into a clay cup, drink your cup of tea and then you smash it onto the railway tracks and it just becomes earth again. But you have a trip in Europe or in the US and you ask for a cup of tea, you'll get a plastic or a styrofoam cup, you'll get a plastic cup holder, uh, you'll get a straw, you'll get a couple of uh, tissue papers, it's never one, it's always a couple. Yeah. They'll give you sugar in a sachet and sometimes even the, the creamer or the milk in another centena. Yeah. So just to have that one cup of tea, you've produced so much of waste. And I used to always use this example. But today what happens is you'll have the same thing happening here in India. Yeah. And we consider that as an upgrade from that clay cup. I mean, I'm not asking you to be Lauren Singer who generates like a tiny mason jar of trash over three years. <laughs> but when they start thinking about it, you realize how little waste you can produce. So wait, where are we going right now? We're almost there and I'm heading in the direction of this person's home that wants a composter. He's never composted before. He has a lot of questions about composting and I'm hoping I'll answer them. What is the compost that you provide for your single, like the family clients? There are many designs that we sell. Brands that make them or some of them I make myself. But the one that I'm delivering today is a very popular composter. It's actually a terracotta pot. There are three pots, one stacked over the other. Because in India it's so humid, your waste gets turned into compost in as little as 45 days. And it's cost effective, it's like under 3,000 rupees. It's not for everybody, but I sell about 20 of them every month here. And I'd say it's one of the most successful composters in India. I'm gonna have to call and ask this guy where he lives really, because his directions were pretty vague. He says, go down this road and it's a blue house. <laughs> so, Next to? <laughs> He said his house had a name, and I see a blue house coming up. I mean, only one wall of it is blue. It's pink, actually. Yeah, it's a pink and blue house. I'll ask you. Why are you wearing color though? Why are you wearing color? Yes, I did. Right on. Very good. Thank you. So it is straight ahead. Good thing about Goa is that you, if you ask somebody, pretty helpful and they actually probably know the person you're looking oh, for. Oh yeah, it's amazing sometimes how you'll, you'll be going through, and especially the kids. The kids will always know, oh this is a, this no, is this a, is a white and blue house, but this yeah, is a cool house. It looks like the one that we're supposed to be going to actually. It looks like the kind of house that would compost. <laughs> the people that would typically compost in Goa are those that would be fed up of the government not doing anything. Typically a little bit more affluent and expats. Yeah, this is my friend Sonia Hello. who's following us. Hi. Hi. Oh. Come, come inside. Yeah, you can go and sit down. No, no, no. We, we're not sitting down. We just come to set it up and go. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to see where we're putting it so that we can suggest. I'll just need you to get me one newspaper, uh, old newspaper, yeah. and today's waste. Uh, over there? Yeah. Okay, that's fine. 
Uh, what I would suggest is in that case, if you're putting it here. No, no, over there, on that. On that? Yeah. But how would you access it? It will be difficult to access it. Because yeah, it's, it's, if you put them uh, together, it's like this high. And then to go in, in there and put waste would be but, difficult. But here, what happens in the rain? No? Or shall we keep it there? Here is fine, but still, I think you'll still have an access problem. You can set it up and see. I would put it maybe here. But no, there is a ray, uh, water machine. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of covered, no? It won't be enough. Somewhere over there? No, that would be a bit dangerous. I'll put it here, but again, we need to level this a little bit because it's a no, bit yeah, you know, what, oh, How about here? Yeah, yeah, I can keep that fine. stone over here. Yeah, that's fine. Mm? Yeah. Let, we'll get it first. Can I come go this way? No, no, no. No? <laughs> I have to go through the house. <laughs> okay. This is my wife. Rona, this is Clinton. Hello. 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 Which one you have? But do you think this 45 days, uh, one one kilo will fit into this? 45 kilos in the whole setup. It will take you 45 days to make but it. So. Soon, uh, that gets uh, decomposed. Yes. And uh, later on, uh, powder and that is from where I get it from you only? Oh. Liquid you can get at my dad's shop in Margao. Where is your dad's shop? Uh, below Grace Church, Vaz Enterprises, the liquor store. Ah, Vaz Enterprises? Yeah, that's my dad. Okay, you all have in Kolwa also, isn't it? Yeah, you can go there also. But they sell these things with yeah. liquor? They'll sell this, yeah, with liquor. You I mean, I didn't know where to keep it, otherwise it's a difficult thing, no? So that's why I asked my dad to keep okay. it and he said, okay. Anyway, I get my booze from him. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly, it's the most convenient place. It's very smart. Actually, <laughs> I have the it. newspaper here already. No, 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 I get, I'll give you <laughs> lots of paper, don't worry. Okay, so... I'll get you started with uh, some culture as well. Whoever is going to be putting waste in, call them as well, so they're all around to know how to use it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Mila Green? Oh, Mila Green? Mila Green? Is a bit. Mila Green? I'm packing it away. Anything else? You want I'm waste today, nay? I'll explain in English. Company, company, company. Yeah, tin modicule system. Tatun kotsra galon. Kusun ami te sare korpasuta. Okay. Te compost zauka te dead moine lakta. Oil party. Oil party. Magi pandra pandra desan sare metalo. At ye modicule taje bitor galon sare zata. Kete wet or dry? Wet. Fokot wet. Kuspache koir. Je kete kusta plastic kusna paper kusna. Potreche, Kachiche was to Kuspana. Pokot, Kuspache, Now, even a seed, a mango seed will not do. Mango seed will do, it will break down. Huh? Mango seed is fine. Mango seed is okay. Yeah? Yeah. So, the, this is the base, also oh, called. Okay. This is close it up at yeah. the bottom. Yeah. This always stays at the bottom. bottom. Okay? So, now what I would do is, because this is a brand new unit, it's empty, yeah. I would just take some dry leaves. Ponele. Suke palo. Okay. You can collect them later on. You crush it. You crush it. You don't. You see that tip. Kurge kur. Ani. Ajibitar gal. So you need, of course, more. You need about four inches. Four inches. Tar inch gal. So that acts as an absorbent layer. Yeah, okay. 
now you are ready with your composter completely to start mm. okay so the first thing you have to do is don't use plastic yeah. okay ata plastic usar karna ka paper ga you can use newspaper you can use normal paper but mm. don't use a plastic mm. so now i'm just going to put this over here just now to show you how okay mm. now suppose this is your garbage ye disa ta koir kitle ata half half ata so this is about a kilo mm. okay so what you do you take your garbage you put this now this is ye wakat this is the medicine in this the bacteria hai ye mai kachra khaun mai to sare kota so what you to do is if you have vegetarian waste mm. vegetarian nuste mas kai na dalar don gudi galpache so you take one cap and two caps if it is meat fish milk products nuste ahler we are non veg yeah so then you put four <laughs> caps fully non veg one two pehle don gale ani don gale char gaila ha this is every day this is every time okay so now what you do is you mix this up with the waste okay and you put this inside your composting unit now once you are done that take one handful of kundo mm -hmm. sprinkle it over the waste waste okay so first time every time every, every time now that kundo will have to be brought it have to be if you don't have kundo you can use dry leaves dry leaves you don't want get in a monsoons just keep one basket of dry leaves but you have to put on that yeah you have to put it otherwise what happens it becomes too wet Pull otherwise it, you get sawdust from the sawmill yeah, yeah, one sack and you keep oh, it yeah. in here okay so now this is done Okay, this is a calm cover. You put the cover back on and you go. Next day, same thing. Empty the waste and put a handful of sawdust. Okay. We keep doing this every day. Now this design here is a level indicator. Inside, when your waste gets to that level, you stop adding any more waste. Though there is space from here to here, you need some air, but you have to stop putting it when the waste comes to this level, which is approximately 15 days. So 15 kilos of waste will go into this one pot. So when you have done this 15 days of waste, you take this full pot with the garbage, and you put it in the middle, okay? okay. And then the empty pot comes on top. And the same, same. You do the same thing. You block the hole with the newspaper. Mm -hmm. You put the day's garbage. You put a handful of sawdust. Okay. Along with the sawdust, only in the beginning you put this culture, okay. one teaspoon. So 15 days here. Yeah. Then it the then whole it. pot moves to here. It stays yeah. another 15 days. then you empty the contents in here another 15 days yeah. so for so one and a half month from now you will get your first batch of compost mm -hmm. so then you just empty all this put it in the garden then empty oh, garden or we can store it you can store it mm. ideally the best thing to store it is clay clay okay. if you don't have clay you can use plastic that plastic uh, you can use plastic yeah. you can use plastic but clay is the best because it allows the compost to breathe so that's it that's all you need to know Time is 10. So from the car, I'll just show you what our uh, recycling centers look like. Mm. We have them all over in the south. Yeah, because you guys only service the south set area, right? Yeah. Okay. So there's one not too far from here, so I'll show you that one. This is actually the source of the river Sal, the one that goes all the way past Benauli to Betul. The river starts somewhere here, to where in the village of Verna.
crossover from Nuvan to Batman. Yeah, I've never actually. <laughs> I love when they don't look. <laughs> so, what happens here is there's a finite number of homes. In this case, about 36, I think, homes. Mm. And uh, we'll have a contract made with the society okay. uh, representative living there. Yeah. This is the composter that's there, okay. and there are the bins. So you see, there's a right in front. There's a wet and a dry waste bin. Yeah. So then every second day, the boys will go and do collections from every home with those two bins. Okay. So the wet waste goes into the composter, and then the dry waste gets separated into the bins behind. Okay. We don't get into any site if these two things don't exist. Okay. Because this is this is the main reason why we make money is because we we reduce our transport and uh, operational costs. Okay. So we by doing this we don't need to transport food waste which had would have to be done every day because it would smell otherwise. Right. So here we're treating it on site so then there's no smell at all and then when we're digging it out it's compost we're digging out. Okay. And with regards to dry waste, what happens is when you start segregating the waste into these eight categories, you can then compact it. Mm. So all the plastic bags together can be compressed into one big bin of plastic bags. Yeah. And all the glass can be kept separately. So, you know, it, instead of sending a van once a week, I can send a van once a month. Right. This is the way we are competitive with waste contractors who take everything together. Right. Okay. They come more often and they take it all together. Yeah. Whereas we come less often, so our cost is lesser than them. Right. Okay. In terms of transport. And also, when you have a system like this, then if I would not be doing a good job, the composter would smell, and my clients would know about it. So it keeps me in check. Yeah. It also keeps the clients more in in touch with what they are. Then they start claiming ownership to their waste, saying right. that I want the compost before it was like take the waste away. Mm. But now it's I want the compost. Right, yeah. So it creates this link between them and the waste. Yeah, and which puts is a, a bit more thing. importance on doing it right if yeah. you're the one yeah. who's going to be using it. And like the most common complaint in the city is that, you know, I separate my waste but the worker mixes it all up together. Yeah. And when you see it actually getting collected separately and it going into two separate systems, right? The compost goes into the composter, the yeah. dry waste goes into the recycling bins. Then you you don't feel disheartened. Yeah, you feel exactly. like whatever you did was making a difference. Yeah. So we'll also encourage that by having an open house once or twice a year. So we'll open up our warehouse to all the clients and say you're welcome to come on this day. Mm. We'll show you how we're recycling, what we're recycling. They'll meet the workers. Then they actually see a face to the people that they don't normally see. You know? right. And they, they know that your their waste is actually going to be handled by some humans later down. Yeah. They're gonna be more careful about how they separate their waste. Just in Verna we have about eight or nine projects. In Kolba and Benali also we have some more. And in Navelli we have some. Okay. So this what we're passing by is an educational institution which has about six thousand students in there. So there's there's eight different institutions. There's like a pre primary, there's an orphanage, there's a university, there's a polytechnic, there's a high school and so it's a huge complex mm. and they produce a lot of garbage which they didn't know what to do with so they would basically pick it up and burn it uh, in each section yeah. so then about six years ago 
we went in and we set up a system across the entire campus. And we standardized everything. We basically took all the bins that they had, broken buckets and half-used paint cans and all, and replaced it with like standard bins with mm. covers and wheels and all that, yeah. signage and everything. Yeah. And then we did, an, we did like an awareness program for the whole month with all the student groups. And then we trained the gardeners that they work as gardeners seven days a week. So then we said, okay, you're going to work as gardeners six days a week. And one day you work as waste management people. So on a Friday every month, every week, I mean, mm. the van goes around, their own van, picking up all the trash from all the sections, pre-segregated. It goes to a local storage room where the gardeners will sort that waste out into categories. Yeah. And then we will buy the recyclables off them. Oh, okay. So before they were burning it, and now yeah. they they make money out of it. So they make approximately uh, fifty thousand to seventy thousand a year by wow. selling their recyclables. <laughs> Which is amazing. So they're pretty happy with that system, yeah. and their food waste goes to a composter. Yeah. And there's they are like basically net zero. They're not making that's any great. garbage that's yeah, going yeah. on. That's awesome. And then so while we're driving, like how how did all of this get started? Like when was it? Had you always been interested in waste management, or was it something that came as the result of something? Or and how did you um, fall into this? Accidentally, of course. So I lived in a city in Margao, and the city has a bin system where you throw your trash into a bin and the truck takes it away. So when we moved from the city to the village, I didn't find that system existing anymore. So I went to ask my neighbors and they said, well, we don't have a system, so we just burn our garbage or just chuck it in the fields. And that didn't feel right. So then when I started to look at how to treat my waste, there were big questions that weren't being answered. So many things. So then I decided, okay, let's, let's try and do something about this problem because it's obviously a lot of people have the same problem. So then I started talking to people who were connected to waste. So the waste pickers on the street, talking to them about what they take in, the, what they would take away. Mm. About 40% of my waste or 30% of my waste went away that way. Then I learned composting from some uh, people in Mapsa, Goa Foundation. Once I learned composting, I went home and started composting my own waste. Realized that a huge percentage of my waste, half my waste was going into the compost. So putting two and two together, I was getting about 70-75% of my waste out of the system. Right. I only needed now to throw my waste once a week instead of once a day. So, and I'm talking about my family, like my family of five. Yeah. I thought, okay, now what do I do with this 25% that I'm still generating? How can I try and reduce that even further? So I looked at what was in there and I started to try and target one by one. Plastic bags was one of them. Uh, nobody was recycling plastic bags. Nobody was recycling Tetra Pak. A Tetra Pak was an easy one because there's only one company that makes Tetra Pak. Yeah, and it's called Tetra Pak. Yeah. I went and wrote to Tetra Pak and Tetra Pak really didn't respond. So then I happened to go to Sweden where Tetra Pak happens to have originated from. So it was not connected, I just happened to be going to Sweden. Went to Sweden and I said, okay, let's go to the headquarters of Tetra Pak and tell them about this problem. <laughs> so I met them there and they said, oh, you know what, in Brazil we recycle Tetra Pak, but I don't know why we're not doing this in India. So 
we will tell India that we should be doing something about Tetra Pak. Yeah. And I followed up with that, and then eventually uh, somebody from New Delhi in Tetra Pak said, "Oh well, we're just doing some pilot recycling thing in Delhi and Bombay, but we're not sure if you are capable of generating Tetra Pak waste in that volume. So just generate one truckload of Tetra Pak and then call us, thinking that they'd never hear from us." <laughs> So luckily, I had access to the Panjim city. So I told all the waste pickers, collect Tetra Pak and bring it to me. Yeah. And in three months, we had one truckload of Tetra Pak. So we called them back and said, now we have a truckload. What do we do? So they sent that truckload to recycle. Yeah. It cost them a lot of money in sending that truckload. So they realized, oh, it's just it's worth it. It's yeah. not worth it right now to do this. So we're going to have to give you machines in Goa to start recycling Tetra Pak in Goa, not yeah. sending it out of the state. Yeah. So in 2007, 2006 I met Tetra Pak in Sweden. In 2007, Tetra Pak gave us a bailing machine. Amazing. Where it makes. <laughs> so we started recycling Tetra Pak in Goa. Yeah. It's been hard in the sense that it's very very difficult to get Tetra Pak from people unless you offer them a value. Like if I go to a street recycler and say pick up Tetra Pak, he's going to say what are you going to give me in return? Yeah. And Tetra Pak has really been very slow in increasing its value, and it has a point. It says you know I can't just give you any money. I have to make that product have a value. Yeah. So what they do with this Tetra Pak is they recycle it into notebooks, and the notebooks are as good quality as any notebook. They sell them at the same price as any notebook. Uh, and then the plastic and aluminium in the Tetra Pak, they compress it into a fiber board, okay. and it's used as a construction material. They have been able to offer a value of something like 12 rupees a kilo for a kilo of Tetra Pak. But if you take out the middleman price, the transport price, the bailing price, it comes to like four rupees a kilo at the end, mm. which you can offer a street person. So that's not a great value. No. So today, what happens is we are recycling Tetra Pak in Goa since 2007. But if you quantify the amount of Tetra Pak we are recycling in Goa to the amount of Tetra Pak coming in, yeah. fresh Tetra Pak coming in, we are doing nothing. something like uh, 10%. Yeah. 90% is just going into dumps, yeah. being dumped. So the potential for us to ramp up recycling in Goa is tremendous. Mm. And that's just Tetra Pak. Plastic bags, there's paper, there's metal, there's glass, Ma metal, plastic bottles, cardboard. They're considered high value waste. So, right, the ones that are easily made into everything. Yes, and then the systems are more established. Okay. Uh, here in pet bottles, for example, like if you throw a plastic bottle on the street, I can guarantee you within 20 minutes someone's going to pick it up mm. because it's got a value. Right. If you throw an aluminium can, you 100% be sure in 10 minutes someone's going to pick it up because there is a value for that, and the value is high. Alum aluminium is somewhere like 50 rupees a kilo. Okay. So it's yeah, that's worth it. You don't need to solve that issue. It's kind of sorted out. We need to still work with like diapers, for example. It's got no value, but <laughs> yes, it's negative, a negative value. value. And uh, tube lights, where the cost of a brand new tube light is 40 rupees. The cost of recycling a tube light is 100 rupees. So it has a negative cost. Yeah, that's really not good. So why make products like that when they cost so much to be recycled? My interest was, can I get more things in the recycling sector from not being recycled? So 
and I slowly got plastic bags also on board. Uh, plastic bags can be recycled. It's said it takes a lot of. You need to have a lot of plastic bags for it to be recycled. Yeah. Then and you need to have the space to store that, which most waste because don't. So that's the reason why it doesn't get recycled. Uh, and uh, I eventually found out that uh, more and more things were being recycled till we got to close to like 98% of our waste. Yeah. We haven't found a 100% solution yet. But it's possible today to live waste-free with lifestyle changes. Yeah. So you change a few things in your life and then you're really producing no garbage. So I would say in the last four to five years, we don't produce any waste because everything we produce goes somewhere in a useful or responsible place. Yeah. And in 2007, 2008, I realized that I had a potential to share this information to others. Mm. And then people were going to be able to pay me for that service yeah. or information that I was sharing with them. So I started as a consultant, but quickly realized that consultancy was limiting because I could only advise people on how to do it and link them with waste pickers. Right. But waste pickers aren't organized themselves to you know, run it professionally. So everything I set up, like these recycling points, would run very well for a couple of months and then just and fall then, down. Yeah, there wasn't the follow-through. So I had to, I wasn't really interested in it, but I had to set up a service company that would provide waste management services, actually doing that job that the waste picker would do. So very reluctantly in 2009 I set up a firm and I started to offer those services. But I realized that that was a great thing because a lot of people needed our services. And then over the years we've had some setbacks but we've refined the model in a way that it works really well and it makes money and it increases the quality of life of a lot of the staff that work with us. So I've decided that, okay, this is how the model works, but we don't want to just keep growing like most businesses do. What we want to do is make, make it a sustainable unit, which can be replicated. Right, okay. so we're looking out for young people in Goa that, or even out of Goa, that are interested in taking this model and replicating it. So we have this kind of a decentralized hub and spoke model where we each support each other, but we have our own kind of business yeah. circle that we can operate under. So that's why we decided, okay, we're going to consolidate our operations and work only in Salsit, which is pretty huge anyway. And ideally, every village should have one recycling entrepreneur setting up his own firm and servicing that village. Yeah. Because there's so much of opportunities to run a successful business, employment-wise, uh, waste-wise, and I just see the pr problem of waste in Goa growing. Like, you know, we are, we're tackling it, we're doing things, but the quantum of waste is growing much faster than we are yeah. tackling it. So I, you see, like a lot of pile-ups here. And, yeah, and I remember I was, we were with you, and we were, on, we were driving somewhere, and I asked, I was like, is it not just kind of daunting when you see these piles, like we're driving past right now, these yeah. big piles of garbage, and you're like, no, no, I just never see, I'll never run out of work, <laughs> and it was, like, it's, but it's so true, I mean, I just, I mean, a lot of people, maybe because it's not a very sexy industry to be in, but at the same time, like, yeah, if you want guaranteed employment, just work in the trash industry, there's yeah. so much that can be done. We actually tell a lot of our customers how to reduce the waste that they're creating. 
it's actually opposite to my business plan of saying produce more waste so I can recycle it. Because we know that there's much more waste than we can handle around. So we don't need to create anymore. So we keep telling people, like, you know, avoid disposable waste, you know, it's like uh, we are encouraging them to go to waste pickers. We're saying go to the waste picker, don't go to us mm. because you're ensuring that that guy has a job. Yeah. And there's enough of waste for everybody to go around. So even now in the village programs, what happens is on the day we are doing a collection, the waste pickers know that day, so they come out early before us and maybe 200 meters before our truck, they're actually going around picking out all the recyclables. Okay. And we don't look at them as competition. We're happy they're doing that because, you know, they're actually taking some of the load away. Yeah, and but also, like, also, if, it could, if it can then become zero, then you've done a good job and you can move on to a new section. Yeah, that, right? that's wishful thinking. <laughs> <laughs> a couple of times we've had such bad setbacks that I've actually thought of shutting down. Like, let's, okay, let's give up on this thing. It's never going to be solved. What's the point of it all? Are we even making a difference? And then it's surprisingly the clients that will call us and say, please don't shut down. We know what you're doing is important and we can't imagine what we would do with our waste if you weren't around. Yeah. So sometimes we're doing it for them. The sad thing right now what is that, is that we've been looking out for young people that are interested. And a lot of people are interested, but when it comes down to actually, you know, having that business mind or entrepreneurial spirit mm. you find Goans not really for that they, they'd rather work for you rather than, than set up their own business right okay and there's only that much that we can do in the sense that I don't want to keep growing even organically I just don't want to grow at all I'm happy with what I have right now yeah but then how do I so when somebody calls me up saying that they need a waste management solution it means I have to say no to them most of the time because I, I have my yeah. hands full right now. Yeah. And I would love that there were more people that I could say, okay, you know, you're calling from so-and-so. Like, I know that guy who Who's can help you instead. Reason, yeah. Clients can decide where they want to give their waste. It's, at the end of the day, it's their own waste. So they can choose whether they want to recycle it on their own, they want to give it to a private recycler, or they want to just let the government take it on. So last year what we did was we had a meeting of concerned people, just anybody who was concerned. 50 people came for that meeting and we drew up a map of Goa and started to list out facilities that exist. Like, you know, I recycle so there's my recycling point. The government has a point treatment facility there so let's put that there and then we drew up all the things that we knew of with these 50 people, information from 50 people. So then, some uh, then this woman Sarita took this forward. She put it, she just transcribed this information onto a Google map and shared that map to everybody. It's like you could go onto that map and add your information. Yeah. And then three months later, we just went to that map and found that there were 150 new points added. Oh, wow. So it's like if you know a local recycler in your neighborhood that takes some kind of waste yeah. from you. You geotag his location with his phone number. Mm, so and then everybody in that area can now use that guy's information and you go to him and give them your recyclables. So 150 like that really makes some kind of difference, you know? Yeah. So then somebody went and added 20 food banks. So if you have a party in your house and you've got so much of leftover food that's edible, instead of throwing it away, you could give it to the food bank 
that would then pick it up and give it to the poor. Yeah. So there are 20 food banks in Goa, whoever knew that. Okay. But now you have yeah, that information yeah. all in one place and you can just click the nearest one, find its location, find the phone number and yeah. liaison with that guy. And, and so where, where does someone find this? So it's called the Goa Waste Atlas. So the next time somebody says, what do I do with my garbage? I just send them the link and I say, yeah. try and find a local solution. If you can't, then call me back and they usually yeah. don't. Oh, brilliant. Okay. So, you know, this is like sharing the problem and empowering those guys that are already working with waste. Yeah. And this is no prejudice. We're even talking about the government plans. We're like yeah. sharing everybody's information. Yeah. So I think that's like a good solution in the meantime that, you know, if whilst more and more people build up waste management systems, you can use whatever is there already. Yeah. And very often you'll find that there's overcapacity already in that. Yeah, there which is. Which is underutilized. So we're almost here at the recycling facility, the Margao industrial area. And we're happy to be here because a lot of recyclers also call this their home. Okay. So what happens is when we bring our waste and process it into a particular recyclable category, it doesn't really travel too far from us. It moves maybe 200 meters from us to another local recycler okay. and then gets recycled. So yeah. that's actually good for many reasons. I mean, less transport, less handling, keeping more and more people indirectly employed. This is one of the oldest industrial estates, the second most old industrial estate in Goa. Mm. The oldest one is uh, Korli, near uh, Old Goa. Ah, uh, oh, yeah, okay, that makes sense. So I'll, I'll just take you for a quick walk around. Hello. Okay, sir. This is Sunita, Neelam, Ramat. I'm trying to find both girls. So this is our warehouse. It's not huge, but it makes things happen. And I'll yeah, tell you yeah. how it works. They're right now sorting a pile of paper. So this has come from one of our sites yeah. where it was already pre-sorted, only paper. Right, okay. And then so they'll separate paper in. into colored paper, white paper there. Pal Krishna, you're company? 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 Uh, then they separate it into cardboard and then newspaper so then the newspaper like he is actually folding them back into oh, newspaper wow. and then we'll sell the newspaper all of them get have different values so right. then we buy you see these bales over there yeah so that has come from the town of Kepem the whole municipality so we bought the, the paper waste that they create yeah and then we'll sort it all as well when we are, when the rain starts and the work becomes less, then we take that. Then everything gets sorted. And then the Goa Airport, we buy all the aluminium, and then we sort it into like cans. Yeah. So every flight that comes to Goa, all the cans come to us. So that's all the cans. That's all the food containers having having a different value. And then we have like three other categories of aluminium. Oh, wow. so this is what we're doing. So when waste comes in, we have one van there, and then there's another van which is doing its rounds right now. Yeah. So it comes in and we use these big bags as a unit. So one truck can hold between 12 to 18 bags. Right. Those bags are containing mixed recyclables. No food, just mixed recyclables. So we store it, can see the partition really there. From that partition to that wall, that's all waiting to be sorted. 
Okay. It says dry waste up there. Yeah. So then they'll take one bag at a time, empty it here, sort it, put it into its category. And so once they've sorted it, then it goes into like, so this pile up here is hard plastics. Okay. Behind that is pet bottles. Then that's tetra pack on this side, and then the corner is paper and cardboard is what he's making ready now. Then here is all metal. Okay. And then this pile is glass. Mm. And then we also have a category of plastic bags here. You can see some of them here, like yeah. that this bag, plastic. And then we're just storing the aluminium right now temporarily over there. Mm. And then after the whole process is done, about 10 to 18% of the waste is not recyclable, yeah. which can be incinerated. Okay. That goes over here. So these bags are all like going to be sent for incineration. So these are these chip packets yeah, which can't be recycled, oh, the yeah. styrofoam that can't be recycled, that will all go to incineration. Hmm. So at the end of this whole thing, we also have our diapers. Yeah, diapers. So this is our diaper pile for this week, which we will take and put this into our sweet. storeroom. Yeah, and then we need to rebag them before it goes there. And then we have other things like ceramics. I think they have ceramics stored outside. And uh, the tube lights, we have a bin at the back where we store them. So it takes about four to six people to run this efficiently. Yeah. And right now we're understaffed. But it's okay because when the rain comes, waste will reduce a little bit. Yeah. But then they will still have work. Yeah. So they're pretty busy. They're working 8 to 8, 8.30 to 8 in the evening, almost yeah. 12 hours. Yeah. And then they work Sundays too. Again, it's all up to them. They choose to work that way. Yeah. If I don't, if I give them a vacation, they're upset. Oh, they yeah. actually want to work they because they, yeah. they'll get paid more for that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so I mean, there's no smell here. Mm. Uh, this is waste. We're, we're in an area where 10,000 people's garbage comes. Yeah. And I keep telling them that it doesn't have to be smelly, it doesn't have to be, yeah. you know, a That's sight, like unsightly sight. So come to the back, I'll show you around. It kind of looks like a big craft room. <laughs> so this is smelly compost, I think, which has come from, yeah, you can see mm. it's not ready. It's all oh, yeah. gooey. Yeah. And this is from like uh, emergency, before the rains, you have to empty a composter. Yeah. So what happens is we have this heavy rainfall that happens between June and September. Yeah. And in that time we can't remove any compost. So what we do is we empty all our chambers now so that in June we don't have to empty any composters then. Yeah. So we remove this half ton compost, we rapid compost it here and then it will turn to something like this. Oh, wow. So this is our ready finished compost yeah. that we can then sell. So this sells at uh, 15 rupees a kilo on the highest and yeah. 8 rupees in bulk hmm. so this is a, a, a kind of a cooling tank that was used from the earlier industry that was here yeah. so we use it to store compost and it can hold about 8 tons of compost in this wow. so in this week we have to fill this whole thing up full and then cover it up with plastic before the rains come so right. we have basically one, uh, one to two weeks to do this I wish you speed <laughs> so we use a lot of the compost in our gardens, so we grow a lot of fruit because we get lots and lots of visitors coming, a lot of children, yeah. so they need to understand how this compost connects back, yeah, so we grow, so that's our pineapple there. Pineapples take two years to give fruit, papayas and bananas give us, take less than a year, so mm. we grow a lot of papaya and banana. That line of banana there is also our shade so that we can work outdoors in the oh, shade. Okay, yeah. 
then we get bananas, of course, as an added advantage. So when we bring this, com this is our tube light stack. Mm -hmm. We don't pick up too many. We try and yeah, keep them more at the time. This wood has come from Canada. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, what is it doing here? Yeah, it's a com Canadian company that gives us this wood, and then we'll we'll either repurpose it or yeah. some of the locals will take it for firewood. Okay. Um, All the way from Canada. Hi, Canadian wood. <laughs> that was like when I was um, we did the motorcycle trip from Manali to Leh, and yeah. I remember staying in one of these remote little yeah. mountain villages, and there was the huts are kind of made out of old tarps and stuff, and one of the tarps was from St. John's, oh. which is like a city in, <laughs> in Canada. And just there's this tarp of logging, a logging tarp. <laughs> so this fresh compost, which is there, right? Mm. We mix it up with older compost and get it to air out. And yeah. then it composts in like 15 days. Okay. So when we do that, then we have to go mm. through sieving it. Yeah. So this is what it looks like at the beginning. Yeah got a lot of plastic in it yeah the plastic that is too. invisible when you're putting it in because it's hidden in the waste yeah but when it's composted it sticks out so then this has to be manually removed mm. so they will start doing this in this afternoon yeah before the rains all of this has to disappear so wow. when we remo remove it we remove the plastics and then what is left behind when you sieve it is the big stuff the fluff we call it compost fluff and yeah. that's a pile of compost fluff over there Okay. That will just be used back to composting again. Right. It will break down slowly. And if it's out in the rain, it's fine because it will break down with the rain anyway. Mm. Now, what falls through is this, which we call as rough compost. Now, the rough compost is great for plants. The only one problem is it's a lot of contaminants in it. And if you look at it, there's two big things in the contaminants which are common. One is this earbud. Mm. We find lots and lots of earbuds. Now, if you look, you'll just start seeing a lot of yeah, earbuds yeah. everywhere. And the second most common thing is this Nestle taste maker. So not candies. These are what people use in the homes to cook the bouillon, oh. the the taste maker in right. their food. So you'll see this. There's another one. There's another one. And you just these are the two common things that people put in their waste and then the corners of their bag, plastic bags when they cut. Right. So the slowest part of our whole entire system is cleaning this up. Because this can only be done manually. Yeah. So we have got to and sit down so and like things. just start collecting them like that, you know. And wow. there will be tiny bits of glass and plastic. And I've seen this in every composter in the world when it's wow. done industrially. So this takes the whole day. Like if I would do this pile, it would take my whole team to do the whole day. And it's not really productive work. Yeah. And this would only reduce if people were more careful with what they put in their waste. Yeah, exactly. So once we sieve this a second time with a final sieve, we'll get that fine compost which has got no contamination mm. and it'll all go through. Right. But this is the big that job. That takes forever. Yeah. Hmm. yeah, so that's my operation. Then those are the piles of glass that we have uh, kept for repurposing. So we've actually kept like that's only blue glass. Archivex will come and use it for mosaic. Mm, mm -hmm. This is ceramics and mirrors. I yeah. think this is only mirrors. People again will collect it for repurposing. Yeah. We need to have more people repurposing things. Yeah, well, that's because the thing. We I bet so you there's so much that's useful. And I mean like all that stuff. Most of that stuff is still useful. It's a method to the madness yeah, if you yeah. look at it. Amazing. These are our two professional rat killers. Hi, Kiki. And he's got two color eyes. Yeah, oh, he's beautiful. She's the mom, <laughs> and she's the kitten that was there last season. Mm. Hi, kitties.
Okay, so we'll carry on, go back. So we are back in the yeah. lobby. I need to be here. I need to be somewhere else as well. So. <laughs> well, I appreciate you taking the time to. No, it's fine. In the busy. Good. You're on my list. So. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. There you go. I can be part of the eighty percent. Hopefully. <laughs> yes, we did two things out of this. Sonia and uh, no make. And then we have the Betalbati guy, Kolva Pash, and the bit. That's that. People who are traveling in India, one of the things that frustrates them most is seeing the garbage that's around. Yeah. But none of them really think to find out or actually to understand behind the scenes how much work actually is happening or how many people are doing things. Yeah. And especially even like that, the Goa garbage atlas. Yeah. Just to know that actually there are hundreds and hundreds of facilities or individuals who are working against trash. But to actually start to know it and think of the society a little bit more as this whole complex myriad of things rather than just being here on your holiday and seeing trash and being frustrated. Yeah. It's connecting the dots is what is really needed. There's a huge disconnect between the Goan population and the recycling people. Mm. The disconnect is because of many reasons. I mean, India being India the social structure, the caste structure, the ways how they operate, the uneducation, illiteracy, all of that. Because I work with this, I've been able to bridge some of those gaps. They'll accept me because like if you just go to a recycler and start talking to him, he's not going to openly talk to you because he doesn't know who you are. Right. You could be the law that is asking for a bribe. You could be somebody trying to shut him down. But because I've been in this line for so long, actually I can say more than half my life, it's easy for me to talk to them. And then they'll open up and tell me things as well. We need to have more connections, actually. We, and I'm saying we, is like yeah. people need to share more information and work yeah. together. We have these prejudices. Like, you know, they often say that those scrapyards are unsightly, they're dirty, they're messy, they're a menace. But they are the ones taking away the trash. Yeah, exactly. And they are not the de messy, dirty ones. We are. We are the ones generating the waste. The problem with a lot of people is how people perceive waste as bad or good. You know? To give you an example, six or seven years ago, they had the largest gathering of humanity at a festival called the Kumbh Mela, where like two or four percent of the world's population congregated at one spot. It's a huge thing that happens for three months. And they had a very simple waste management system that was very effective. They just didn't have any plastics. Everything, all tea was served in those clay cups. All food was served in leaf plates. And there was no need for plastic packaging anywhere. The sugarcane guys had glass glasses and they would wash the glass and reuse them. They didn't have any takeaway. In the Mela, which happens in the floodplains of the Ganges, they dug pits all over and every day they would put all the trash in and bury it. Basically doing what we call composting in a very basic way. But there was no plastics, it was fine that was happening. And at the end of the season, this festival was done. Students from MIT came down to India and were impressed with how infrastructure was planned. Besides waste, the electricity and power and all. Yeah. Now, six years later, 
with this new program of Swachh Bharat, which says, let's clean up India, don't put trash anywhere, put it in a bin. They opened it up to everything. They said, why just old-fashioned clay cups? Let's bring in plastic, chip packets as well, and everything was allowed in. Just six years later, they replaced those holes in the ground which were inferior with plastic bins that would collect all the trash. And then fancy new compactor trucks would come and take the garbage away. And everybody was so impressed with how we have progressed from dumping waste into the ground to now taking it away in bins in fancy trucks. But three months later, nobody's talking about it, but the landfill that took all this waste is now overflowing with garbage. They cannot run it anymore because it's so full of garbage from the Kumela. Six years ago, there wasn't any garbage because it was dealt yeah, it with was there just, and then. It was a closed loop. So you have to tell people it in this way for them to understand that fancy trucks and bins are not always the solution. You know, it's like, no, uh, exactly. And having something in a shiny plastic package is not actually... It's advanced in one way, but you're going backwards in a lot of other ways. It's not easy to just make a solution work. You've got to yeah. replan the whole system. Yeah. I mean, in India, I kind of find that it's easier to do because we have not yet put our systems in place. Yeah, no, so whilst you're true. putting it in, you can say, hey, you know what, I think you should do this. And luckily in India, you have that kind of pull where you can talk to the government. It might be corrupt and all that, but you can actually yeah. tweak the system a little bit to make it more realistic yeah. or workable. Yeah. Whereas in the West, like, who do you talk to? Yeah, huge exactly. ass waste management company yeah. that you take a month to get to somebody and then they'll say sorry it's our policy yeah. that we don't do this I mean that's why I feel that the West need not look at India always as a developing country that needs needs help no. we, we know what we need to do more or less yeah. we just need a little bit of more seriousness and effort to the solutions yeah and it has to come from here not from someone yeah. else coming in right I hope you enjoyed the conversation and all of the surrounding sounds. You can find links to all of the information we talked about in the show notes to this episode. To learn more about what we do beyond the podcast, make sure you check out our website, goa.me, and follow us on Instagram, at goa. Subscribe to Goa wherever you get your podcasts, with new episodes released every Wednesday. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll talk to you soon.